I've had a lot of conversations with different ministers in Africa, and they say, we know that Huawei is spying on us, but we would rather that than the U.S. Wow. Yeah. That's scary. Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement, where every week we bring you conversations, insights, and innovation highlights from emerging startup ecosystems all around the world. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz, and I am joined today by Bill Ottman, who is the CEO and co-founder of Minds, to discuss Google's recent announcement that they will be investing $10 billion into India over the next five years through their India Digitization Fund. Uh, and since scheduling this interview with Bill, Google has already deployed almost half of this into buying a 7.7% stake in Geo, uh, which is India's biggest telecoms provider. And so we'll dive into that and really what this means for the future of privacy, entrepreneurship in India and beyond. But Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. And so before we get into things, obviously, I'm going to do some quick Google searches on all the guests that I'm bringing on. But when I Googled your name, the first thing that came up was uh, your Joe Rogan appearance about a year and a half ago. I'd be super curious. Like, how does one even go about getting booked on Joe Rogan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a, a a friend who was also on the show and uh, she brought me up to him and he, he was interested in talking about transparency. He's, he's big into into transparency on a variety of topics. And I think that there's just sort of this interesting crossover between wanting to kind of know what's really going on in the world. You know, that goes into tech, it goes into food, it goes into conspiracies, it goes into everything. You know, if you kind of digging below the surface, I think is what Joe's really good at. And so, you know, yeah, I was lucky enough to be able to talk tech with him. Sounds like I need better friends. I don't have any friends that are able to get me on Joe. So <laughs> that's, that's definitely a plus to have in your network. But why don't we just start this off by going a little bit into what is minds.com? Why did you start it in the first place and kind of what, what has it evolved into over the years? Yeah. So minds is an open source social network and we are hyper fixated on privacy and transparency and decentralization and monetization, helping creators earn both in crypto and fiat, and really just doing everything in the inverse to how mainstream closed source social behaves. Because, you know, I think that big tech has developed some amazing tools, but it's all backwards and it's all sort of tainted by the manner in which they implemented and, you know, the lack of transparency and privacy. And so we're just trying to do it the right way. And it makes it much harder to do it that way where you're, you're actually getting consent from users for any kind of data. You're not forcing personal data. You're not spying in order to, to grow, you know, all the surveillance tactics are, are what have made it easy for them to grow. And so when, when you take away those, uh, those tools, you know, pixel tracking or, you know, reaching in everyone's contacts without their, their permission, you know, it, it, it's already hard enough to grow, even if you're using every spy tactic imaginable and plenty of apps are doing that. 
But when you know you take that away, yeah, it makes it harder, but it also is the only possible future model. So I think that we just try to be patient with it and we are growing and we just have to stick to the principles. Yeah. I think in the long run that will win. I, like the issue with social media, at least in my opinion, it was, tr- it was kind of Trojan horsed in, in a sense that like when, when it first started to grow back in the early 2000s, nobody really understood kind of the concept of, of data and the fact that data was becoming the new oil. Cause I remember, you know, I got on Facebook back or I got in my space back, you know, elementary school going into middle school. And I remember myself and all my friends would fill out all these like surveys that we would like post publicly on our MySpace pages, like, like about me surveys and kind of looking back on that, it was making us apathetic towards just giving up our data even though, you know, that was not appropriate for at least the age that we were at. Mm -hmm. So I I definitely see that. And the way that most of those platforms were growing is, uh, and and you you actually talked about this on Joe Rogan, where it's like, you looked at the way LinkedIn growth hacked itself, you would upload all of your email contacts into LinkedIn to see like who else was on. And that was, you know, painted as a way to like connect with your friends. But then they were able to take all those contacts and you know, send emails out to them. And that was their growth hack. Exactly. And that, that, that's the easiest one to do, which, you know, every company is, is truly tempted to. And I think that there are ways that you can integrate consent into that flow, but it's, it's a, it's a experience with more friction than just, you know, clicking a button and uploading everything. And, you know, there's tension between the convenience that you get also when you upload all your contacts and you can quickly find all your friends who are on the site. I mean, convenience surveillance does go hand in hand with convenience. And so I don't think that it's necessarily about like not sharing data. I think it's more just slightly repositioning the dynamic of, of the relationship and making it much more clear what's going on and giving people the ability or just being, being opted out by default, which is really, the biggest issue with Facebook. There's no such thing as even opting out. And we're much more of an opt out by default um, type of technology. So it's um, difficult to, to, to put that into an easy onboarding experience. And you, you just want to compensate people for what they're giving. You want to be clear about what's going on. And it just needs to be a healthy relationship, not like an extractive, sketchy one. Right. That makes sense. And so, okay, so here, here's something I've been, I've been thinking about since I read that $10 billion Google investment into India. Do you feel like someone, like the average person in India, when they see something like that, does that have the same kind of... Do they do they look at that through the same geopolitical lens as Huawei investing ten billion dollars into India? Because mm. Huawei, like whenever I see that, it's like it's obviously there's kind of state involvement or there, there's something you know some state Chinese state incentive when Huawei comes into somewhere like Nigeria or somewhere in Africa. But do you feel like there's that same kind of implication when Google comes in somewhere? It's different for sure. And I think it would be naive to put the two on this you know, exact same level. I think that Google is much 
more of a positive force in the world than, you know, some of these Chinese companies. And sometimes I try to even jump out of my own bubble and, you know, not just be so negative about the Web2 companies, which have have paved the way in, in many respects. I like to give credit where credit's due. But I just think that, yeah, it's um, so. So no, I don't. I don't think. I think that people in India probably perceive that much more positively. But they're really not. They're different, but they're not that different structurally. They're both surveillance, closed source surveillance juggernauts. Now, how much gov- data they're each sharing with their respective governments is is different. You know, how much they're both engaged in censorship is different. They're both engaged in, in both of those acts and in varying ways. And so um, I think what the, the message that I try to get across is that, you know, these are the questions you need to be asking yourself when, you know, a company comes into your country or, or you're deciding on an individual basis, if you're going to install an app, it's like, yeah, okay, the country where its origin is a factor, but you have to look at the architecture. Like, is it being transparent with you? Is it open source? Is it encrypted? You know, these 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 are the basic questions where, you know, if it was a fully open source, decentralized app from China, I mean, it could be, and it could be audited by security researchers. And, you know, you have pretty much full control over everything. And so just because the app is in from, I mean, obviously Chinese developers are perfectly capable of creating incredible technology. So, you know, it's more of a deeper dive that that you have to embark upon as opposed to just, just asking about the country. Yeah. And I could see that narrative. The second I saw TikTok starting to gain a lot of traction in the U S I can, I like, I I knew that I was going to come to like a head Mm -hmm. where it's like, Again, over the past decade, we've become so apathetic towards just the fact that, like, we don't have data privacy. Like, our phones know where we are, uh, what we're typing into Google. Like, the, like I, I think we've just kind of accepted the fact that, that that we don't have privacy there. And so, I think you know, when you look at you know the average U.S. teenager right now, do they care that much that TikTok is to the Chinese government what Google or Facebook might be to the U.S. government? Probably not. No, they no, they don't. But they would. I think most people would care if it was easy to care. And so, you know, TikTok has exploded because it's a really cool UX and it, it's it's a cool product and it's fun. TikTok is what Snapchat should have been. Right. Right. And, you know, but even Snapchat too, you know, YouTube, Instagram, like these are all basically the same app with, you know, slight variation and they're fun. And I think the alternative tech world, the the more freedom focused, privacy focused apps have a responsibility to be fun and easy. Yeah. But it's a, it's, it's harder for us to achieve that, but that's what we're working really hard on right now. I think that, you know, we've, we've, put a ton of energy into the, into the crypto and the open source and the privacy. But, you know, for really for the last nine months, we've been focusing heavily on just basic UX, just being fun for a normal person, being a a good medium for communication and, and sharing media. And to that, to that regard, 
people, I think, if it protects their privacy, they're they're probably like, oh, cool, fine with me. I mean, like, they, they're just sort of apathetic either way. And if it's if it's achieving both the fun component, the friends component, you know, giving them more exposure, more reach, more likes. Um, and also protecting privacy, you know, that's where we're headed. I think the problem is that there's not as much money in this part of the industry, the more transparency, privacy focused industry, but money is pouring into it and it's just going to take time to catch up. Yeah, I agree. And so tell me a little bit about what you're doing when it comes to localizing minds.com for, for different regions. I, I did see that. I mean, is, is India a big focus for that yeah, strategy? Yeah. Right now? It's a, the translations will be done this week for India and, and the, that that's Hindi, right? Hindi. Okay. Yep. And we've been waiting on, uh, angular, ironically, one an open source Google sponsored, uh, tool, but you know, again, I'm not going to be totally black and white. All of the big tech companies do contribute to, to open source and they do do some good things. They just are very aware of the power dynamics and, you know, the vast majority of their code, they don't open source. They know which code they should open source because they need the developers working on the more base layer frameworks and developers are not going to work on frameworks unless they're open source. So, you know, that's why React, Angular, a lot of the more framework type tools are almost always open source and, and the big tech knows that. And it, it, it's actually reassuring that that has happened and that that pressure is there. And I think we're going to keep seeing that pressure. And hopefully, you know, in the next 10 years, we can, we'll start to see some of the big tech sites be forced to open source their code. Otherwise, people won't touch it. That's that's what we're trying to facilitate, creating that public pressure. And uh so, what, sorry, what was the original question? Well, so it was just about your localization strategy into oh, India. Oh, right. Yeah. So, so Angular has been super slow on their IETN localization building structure. And so finally, we in, in Angular 9, we're, we're able to basically do all of our translation builds in a bundle as opposed to individually. Like the way we only had a few languages before because you literally had to do a different build of the app for every language and it just took like hours. And so, you know, in order to support like a hundred languages, it would be ridiculous to just be, you you need someone full-time just doing that Mm -hmm. all the time. So finally now that's ready. We're already, we have like hundreds of volunteers who are helping us translate in all these different languages. And, you know, that's huge because, because I would never use an app that, that wasn't in English. And why would I expect someone who doesn't speak English to use our app? So that's huge. I think we're already seeing the, the positive effects of, of that uh, from a scaling perspective. Lots of Thai users. We just had a big explosion from Thailand of people who, who care about these types of issues and, it was just great to be able to translate it right away. And that's what keeps people around. And so what was there an uptick? Um, I guess it would have been a month or two ago when India started to ban all of the uh, Chinese apps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely already seeing an uptick in, and also just sort of announcing that we're going to be focusing on India more. We're starting to see more of an uptick. And so and India has has been focused on, even from a government perspective, uh, like using Linux. They've they've actually been pi- pioneers of that 
and doing much better infrastructurally with open source software than a lot of other go- other governments. Mm. So you think that the the uptick for Minds.com in India is is solely that privacy issue? Um, I th- I think that you know anytime first of all it's a pretty rare event that a country just completely bans an app, and right. now that that is starting to become a thing. Um, you know, when, when people see that that's happening, they're, they're just immediately going to start to go and look for alternatives. That's interesting. So I guess we're moving into a future where app bans is just going to become one of the geopolitical tools that countries are able to dish out. Cause I mean, the, e- the EU is also becoming more and more hostile. It seems like, um, and, and maybe r- rightly so over the past, say five years to some of the Silicon Valley tech giants. I did see that. I want to pull up the article. There was just kind of a US EU data privacy agreement that I think just completely fell through the cracks. Let me see if I can bring that up. You mean not the GDPR? Not the GDPR. I think there was another negotiation that was happening when it comes to data privacy regulations and data sharing between the EU and the US. And that completely fell through. And I think the EU is just becoming more and more skeptical. Yeah, EU top court bans US EU data sharing deal over surveillance fears. And so the whole the whole argument that the US is putting out around Huawei is also seems like it's kind of biting them like it is coming back to them as well cuz these countries are thinking, well, like yeah, we probably know that Huawei has been surveilling us, but so are you. Exactly. That's why I feel like this sort of states state sponsored bannings is just a little bit hypocritical because you just need to be consistent and you need to ask ask yourself, well, okay, TikTok, why am I banning it? Okay, it has all kinds of surveillance features. It's closed source, can't see what's going on. There's probably some sort of data sharing program with the with the Chinese state. Okay. Why wouldn't you apply those same standards to other apps and other countries, um, you know, plenty, plenty of governments are, you know, have censorship and human rights issues. And so, yeah, it just, it seems inconsistent. And the problem is that if you were actually consistent, all the countries would be banning like every app. <laughs> everyone, everyone would just have their own domestic player. You'd have to download all the local apps whenever you go into the country. That's realistic. I, I could see that playing out, actually. <laughs> Not even, yeah, but even plenty of local apps would be banned. I mean, if you actually care about, I think it's good that, you know, the conversation is coming to the surface. And, yeah. But we just need to be asking ourselves, well, well why? And let's, let's be consistent with the standards. I mean, if, if the US cares about banning surveillance juggernauts, then they would also ban. Facebook and Google, but how can, I mean, then you're just going down sort of an endless, an endless rabbit hole. So it, it, it sort of seems like when an app gets banned now, it's like country, other countries are saying, Oh yeah, we, we might ban that app too. It, it reminds me of when people get banned from the big tech networks and then other, other networks are like, Oh, well, we're going to ban them too. It's just like sort of this, this, this ban train. Yeah. It then becomes a question of like, it's just a question of who do you trust to surveil you more? Mm. And I've actually heard a lot of, 
I've had a lot of conversations with different ministers in Africa, and they say, we know that Huawei is spying on us, but we would rather that than the US. Wow. Yeah. That's scary. Which was super. I mean, I had a, so it was actually interesting. So on Twitter, I, I'm sure you saw this. When iOS did their latest update, it started to, sh to show in the notification bar that TikTok was like um, spying on the clipboard. Hmm. Like when someone would, would copy, it was showing like in the notification bar that TikTok was like copying whatever you, you copied onto the clipboard. Wow. And I, I had a pretty visceral reaction to that. But what was so funny is the next day, in the same thread, somebody posted that the same thing was happening to the LinkedIn app, where it was the same notification that LinkedIn exactly. was spying on the clipboard. And mm -hmm. I actually didn't have, I, I had a completely non-reaction to it internally. And it was, it was just interesting to me. It wasn't like a conscious thing. I just had, I had no emotional reaction to that versus the TikTok. But that, again, yeah, it goes back to the question of just like the data privacy issue and the fact that, I mean, even you look at something like Zoom, like because all these apps have all these different APIs integrated, all these different data centers, all these different locations. You have no idea where all this data is getting routed through and who's watching what pipes. And so, yeah, it's a mess. Exactly. That's the thing. Because if suddenly the US cares about surveillance and they care about data sharing practices of companies, then they need to look at how... U.S. companies are using their data. I mean, it, a U.S. company could easily sell data to China. Yeah. And that's happening regularly. So if that's what you care about, I mean, you, you can't just be so surface level when, you, when you're taking this on. You, you, you have to have actual standards. So that's why the whole thing sort of seems... A little bit shallow yeah yeah i think i so. understand the concern and to be honest i think a lot of lawmakers and government officials just literally don't understand the internet that's that's 100 percent so, true i mean it, it's yeah. it, it seems to me like silicon valley has equal sometimes more control and influence over the country than here in washington mm -hmm. oh yeah i mean look at what happened with the twitter hack Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole that, other thing. That's a whole, that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down to, but one, one question. Okay. This is something I've been personally curious about. I want to get your take on it because I have been using DuckDuckGo, right? Mm -hmm. Which, okay. So, you know, it's, it's a privacy alternative to Google. Um, but I also, I use Google Chrome. And so is using DuckDuckGo in Google Chrome even like it's, you're still using Google Chrome. Is there any, is there any privacy it's probably better, but the problem is that, you know, Google Chrome, you don't know what is happening because it's closed source. So, you know, right. the, secu the security community isn't able to even know what's happening. The likelihood is that it's a surveillance nightmare. So <laughs> to use DuckDuckGo within Chrome is, yeah, it's probably better. It's making it a little bit harder for Google, but you know, I would just say, why not use Chromium or or Brave if you like Chrome? Because Brave is is Chromium based, so and it's it's pretty much just as good. I started using I started using Brave, but it was just taking too much space on my Mac. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I have I have uh, Firefox. Is you know, so yeah, some people just don't want to wait. Um, but 
it's I th- I think it's worth it. It, it. it makes me sleep a little bit better at night. <laughs> well, whatever does that for you, that's that's I it's definitely recommend it. But Bill, is there anything else that we we didn't cover that that you wanted to touch on? No, I appreciate uh, digging into this deeper than you pretty much hear about anywhere else. So thank you. No problem. Last question is minds.com. Is the minds.com link still blocked on Facebook? No, it's actually not. We were able to, through a friend of a friend, get a support request in through Facebook and it got it got reversed, but not not without doing deep damage. And we still have suspicions that the the reach is severely limited on our on our domain. So we have some people who have some really huge Facebook pages with like millions of followers and they share our links regularly. And sometimes they'll mirror an article on Minds that they have on their own website and they'll just say that the the Minds post gets like, you know, 75% less reach like consistently. I mean it's literally like the same content. So it <laughs> it really shouldn't be getting so much less reach, but it, it did damage for anyone who doesn't know. Um, yeah, we were restricted on Facebook for about a year where anytime you would post a link into messenger or on the newsfeed, it would, well, for a while it was completely not allowed to be shared in messenger at all. And it just came up with this weird, scary error that said unsecure, which is ironic. Um, <laughs> and then also in order to post it to the newsfeed, it would require a captcha. Mm. and saying saying that you know this is potentially unsecure and so it's just it's just insane it i'm sure it scared countless people and did tons of damage tests because you know most people sitting on facebook aren't gonna investigate that they're gonna be just like oh my god unsecure sounds scary and it's just totally baseless they never gave us any evidence that's totally untrue it's if anything way more secure than facebook and yeah, but then they reversed it. So clearly there was no r- real weight behind <laughs> their issue if they were willing to reverse it. So I, we, we ended up on a blacklist, basically, and I, I have no idea how that happened. And by the way, that was another thing that the Twitter hack exposed, that there are blacklists for certain trends and certain keywords. And certain users. Yes, yes. Yeah, w- which we, which we all we, Which we all already knew. Right. And so. it goes very <laughs> deep and there's probably many different levels of, of blacklists that you can be on. But yeah, I mean, that was definitely one of the most fascinating things to come out of the the, the Twitter hack. And I, I, the same is happening on Facebook. And, you know, I guess the last thing I would say is that that really shows you that they are manipulating, they can and are manipulating the markets and the growth of other apps, whether it's a competitor or not. They are limiting the growth of all different individuals and businesses. And, you know, that is truly scary. And that's going to make the job of rising up to become a competitive alternative much harder. But no one said it was going to be easy. And I, I just think that, you know, similar to how Bitcoin is, is emerging, how other, uh, you know, even, even Mozilla and Firefox, how they've emerged, it's going to emerge. Open source social is coming. It might not be us. We'll be one of the players though. And uh, yeah, but it, it could take a decade. So we're, we're not going anywhere. Awesome. Well, Bill Ottman, CEO and co-founder of Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. 